Well, we want to turn our focus and our attention to the teaching of God's word today. So um, we are in this teaching series um, that we've been uh, that we have entitled how to survive in an upside down world. And and what we've really been focused on is the idea that it's not just about surviving, but it's actually about thriving because Daniel has modeled this for us. What a great model Daniel has been, even though he's from the Old Testament, even, you know, even though it was so many you know, thousands of years ago, we can learn from Daniel because his world was flipped upside down uh, personally, but also uh, geographically, getting dragged you know, 17, 1800 miles away from his hometown and being thrust, being oppressed, being like told this is what you have to do now. And we see him thriving in this. He didn't allow that to crush him. And we can learn from this. And I hope that you I hope that you have been. I hope that you've been learning from all of this. Here's the big idea. That we, here's what I want us to walk away with uh, today. The idea is that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God is still God. And here's a question, South County, here's a question I want you to wrestle with. And every person who's watching online, I want you to wrestle with this question. And all of you here in the room, I want you to wrestle with this question. Do I live my life like God is still God, even at the end of an upside down day? Do you? Only you can answer that question. Only you know the answer to that question. Will you repeat this after me? I'm going to count to three, and on three, you just say this out loud. If you're watching online, if you're in Starbucks watching online, just say it out loud. People will look at you. That's okay, right? Um, If you're watching from home, South County, I want you to say this with us. When I count to three, I want all of us to say together and ask ourselves this question out loud. One, two, three. Do I live my life... Do you realize that we, I was very intentional, we were very intentional about using the idea of day. The day is so important in this. You know why? Most of us want to look at our month. Hey, how did it go this month? How did it go this week? How did it go this year? We, you know, a lot of times we do that, right? In January, we start reflecting on the past year. How did it really go this year? But do you know, this, there's a biblical principle about the day. It's all throughout the scripture. A couple of weeks ago, um, Steve Van Horn reminded us of that when we were in chapter 8. And that Jesus is our daily bread. That's a common theme throughout the Old Testament. And God took care of his, his people with daily needs. He didn't provide everything that they needed for the whole week, for the whole month, or the whole year, but it was about daily. When Jesus showed up in, in, in human form, in the New Testament, he had a model prayer. And in his model prayer, he says, he tells us, hey, we need to pray like this. That you and I need to pray for our daily bread. Stay focused on the day. And then when he is, has this teaching and has hundreds of people around him, in Matthew chapter 6, he tells them that you need to stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough of its worry. 
and stay focused on today. I'm going to say this as nice as I can. Some of you have a problem, and your problem is worrying about next month, or in the next six months, or what hap- what's going to happen in a year from now. And it's as nice, as applied as I can. You need to break away from that. And here's why. Because Jesus says, pray for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Stay focused on today. Why? Because your day turns into a week. And your week will turn into a month. And your months will turn into a year. That's why the day... It's so important. If you can get the day right, you're going to get the week right. If you can get the day right, you're going to get the months right. And if you can get the day right, you're going to get the years right. That's why Jesus said, today I'll give you what you need for today. Stay focused. At the end of the day, no matter how upside down your day went, no matter how sideways it is, no matter the call, no matter the diagnosis, no matter the relationship breakup, at the end of the day, God is still God. And we need to hold on to that. And that's what Daniel chapter 11 is going to show us and teach and reveal to us. Let me say this. It'd be very easy for today to turn into a history lesson. And I don't want it to be a history lesson. I really don't. One... I had to take Western Civ twice, and not because I liked it, okay? When I was in college, I didn't do so well the first time around. I had to go back my senior year and retake Western Civ. I get names and dates and all that. It it just does not compute well with my mind. But, more importantly, I want you to encounter God, the God of the Scriptures. And what we're going to see today is that actually history supports. When you walk away today, I hope you're saying, oh my gosh, this just deepens my faith because history supports what the Scripture was already saying. So, what we're going to do, I I just want to walk you through a a quick overview of Daniel chapter 11. So, here's a quick overview. One of the verses is going to focus on the Persian Empire. There's going to be two verses focused on Greece. uh, Sixteen verses focused on what they just call kings of the south and the north. But then, Daniel gets very specific with this vision. In verses 21 through 35, details about one specific uh, king. And with this king, um, Anta, and see, here here it goes. I can't pronounce his name. I could do it before. I just walked up here. Now I can't do it. But Antichinus, and nope, that's not it either. But but this king, um, he is called the, the, um, the despicable man. That's what the, that's how, in this vision, that's how it shows up. And then he will give us so many details about him, all the way through verse 35. And then, verses 36 through 39, it talks, this is yet to happen. All the, verses 35 and going backwards, that's all happened, that's history. Verse 36 forward has not happened yet. And we'll see, um, I'll show you why I feel like the scriptures kind of points us in that way. And verses 44, uh, 40 through 45, it's still futuristic and leads into chapter 12. And next week, Justin is going to bring us the word uh, because chapters 10, 11, and 12 all really are one unit. They're all talking about the same event. So let's start in verse number 2 of chapter 11. 
And in, um, in chapter 11, verse number two, it says, Now then, I will reveal the truth to you. Three more Persian kings will reign to be succeeded by a fourth far richer than the others. He will use his wealth to stir up everyone to fight against the kingdom of Greece. And now, because we have history on our side, we can look back and connect the dots. And the fourth was this Persian king, Xerxes, the same one in Esther. And it was there, it was there that um, he, he used his wealth to buy other kings to come and help fight against uh, Greece. And, and, this, and, and the, one of these battles at the end, in uh, 480 BC, he actually, even though his army and all the other arms that were with him outnumbered uh, the Greek empire at that time, um, they, Greeks, uh, the, the Greece uh, still won in, that, in this. But what I love about this is like this is about 70 years in round numbers, about 70 years before it ever happened. And here you have Daniel pointing and saying, hey, this is what's going to be happening. Get ready for this. Then in verse uh, number uh, three, then a mighty king will rise to power who will rule with great authority and accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will the kingdom hold the authority it once had, for his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Now, notice uh, this, that he's, his, at the height of his power, his kingdom's going to fall flat. It's going to be divided in, into four. History tells us this. History tells us that, that that's Alexander the Great. This was 200 years in round numbers, 200 years before it ever happened. And when he was 32, he reigned for like 12 or 13 years. And when um, he, uh, at the age of 32, he gets sick for about two weeks and then dies. Age 32. And guess what? None of his kids took the kingdom over. Now, Alexander the Great was pushing um, the Hellenistic culture all the way down into Egypt. That's how far he was expanding. And what happened? Four other generals. Four of his generals ends up taking over. Again, this is about 200 years before it ever happens. This just supports the scripture that Daniel is giving uh, to us. Verses 5 through 12, it just serves as a period that's mostly a Ptolemaic dominance or the Egyptian period when they were ruling and reigning. And I just want to pull out one of the kings here and just kind of show you. Um, in verse number six, it says, Some years later, an alliance will be formed between the king of the north and the king of the south. The daughter of the king, now notice these details. The daughter of the king of the south will be given in marriage to the king of the north to secure the alliance. But she will lose her influence over him. And so will her father. And she will be abandoned along with her supporters. Now, most Bible scholars agree that this is pointing to Ptolemy II who gives his daughter Bernice uh, in marriage to Antiochus II. The problem is he's already married. So he divorces and he takes uh, Ptolemy up on this and so that he can continue to push his, or have his influence in this Egyptian uh, empire. 
But again, hundreds of years before it ever happens, Daniel's given us these very specifics. And when you, because we have history on our side, you can look back and say, oh my gosh, here's that king, here's this daughter, and here history tells us this really happened. And then it just goes sideways from this because when he dies, uh, Antichus gives up. He, he, he divorces uh, Bernice. She gets bitter. He goes back with his other wife and then she's like all angry and then just bloodshed starts happening. You can't trust anybody behind the doors. All these, key, all these you know, it's just like craziness that happens. But what I, what, what I don't, I don't love that part of it, but what I do like is that it just supports, it supports the scripture. This, this was talked about way before, hundreds of years before it ever even happened. Now, slide down to verse 21, because this, this is where a lot of detail is given to us about Antichrist the fourth. Why? Because, because of the havoc he's going to wreak in the Jewish people, and that's who's on Daniel's heart. And so he wants to warn them in advance. It says, uh, the next to come to power will be a despicable man who is not in line for royal succession. He will slip in when, he, uh, when least expected and take over the kingdom by flattery and intrigue. And that's exactly what he does. History tells us how he wasn't, uh, he was like uh, a son of a king um, of, a, of an empire. He got held hostage and then um, he was traded. He gets out. And then he starts finagling his way into power. And as he finagles his way with words into power, he gets other kings to buy into it. It's like, yeah, you should, you should reign and you should rule. And again, all of this was talked about 350 years before it ever even happened. History just supports the truth. You can trust the Bible that we read. You can trust it. Now, uh, Daniel's going to foretell, he's prophesying, he's going, hey, it's going to get worse. I mean, he's trying to prepare, get ready for this. He says, the king of the north will then return, that's the Antichrist the fourth, who will come home with uh, great riches. On the way, he will set himself against the people of the Holy Covenant. That's the Jewish people because they were in this Holy Covenant with the Holy God. That's what they were known as covenant people, the Jewish people. He's doing much damage before continuing um, his journey. So, Daniel's warning, hey, the Jewish people, be ready for this. You think our world's upside down now. It's going to get worse. And then, but he, but he just, he drops this. Because of this is what's given to him. Then at the appointed time, he, meaning that king, King Antigas, he will once again invade the south. But this time the results will be different. Sometimes it looks like in our world it's just running like free willy, right? It just looks like, is anybody really in control? Daniel reminds us that, nope. Everybody has a timeline. God's, God's still in control. God is still a, a sovereign. And there's an appointed time that this king will have a specific period. And in part of this specific period of this king, King Antipas uh, IV, he is going to wreak havoc in the Jewish people. And the scripture says this, in verse 30, For warships from the western coastlands will scare him. This is Antichrist IV, will scare him off and he will withdraw and return home. History tells us 
that those, that those warships were from Rome. And they came down and they stopped him from invading into Egypt territory. And um, one of the Jewish historians shares this story. Says that the Romans uh, general shows up and confronts Antiochus and tells him, do not invade. And he says, I'm going to have to go back and uh, consult my advisors. I'll think about this. Now, Rome had a power, right? Their fleet, they were... And the Roman uh, general, he draws a circle around Antiochus's um, feet. And he says, you need to make up your mind before you step outside of the circle. And then Antiochus just surrenders. surrenders. He's like, all right. So now he's hot. He's mad. He's angry. And it says... And here's what scripture says. History tells us that part. Scripture says he will vent his anger against the people of the Holy Covenant. He's going to vent. He's going to come back. He's going to leave that encounter and he's going to be so enraged. And he's going to um, he's going to vent his anger and he's going to reward those who will forsake the covenant. He's going to do everything he can against the Jewish people to break their covenant with God. And that's exactly what he does. He moves into Jerusalem and he starts trying to persuade people. Don't believe in that God. He actually, he, he, he was pushing a Hellenistic view. He had a very much of a Greek pantheon. You know, he believed in them all. And in a second, I'll show you something else from history. But I want us to think about this idea. Think about how this applies to us. Where we are living in, in our time and there are sometimes it's, it's, it's peop, it feels like it's people or it's a circumstance that we're going through that gives us these thoughts. God, are you really real? God, can you really be trusted? God, if you're so good, then why are you letting all this happen to me? And what it reminded me of was what Peter said. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Stay alert and watch out for a great enemy. We don't have maybe a king like Antiochus IV that's wreaking havoc on us in a physical way. But we do have a great enemy. His name is the devil. It's Satan and all of his demonic powers. And he is prowling. They are prowling around like a roaring lion. They're looking for someone to devour. They want you to give up on your marriage. They want you to give up on your kids. They want you to give up on your faith. And they're looking for every way to knock you down. His army... Back to the text in verse 31. His army, Antiochus' uh, army, his army will take over the temple fortress. And history tells us that's exactly what he does. He'll pollute the sanctuary and put a stop to daily sacrifices and set up a sacrilegious object in the, in, in, that causes desecration. Jewish historians said that it was, it was Antiochus the, the fourth who set up, took, in, took over the temple, set up an altar to Zeus... And brought in a pig and sacrificed a pig in that altar. That 
for the Jewish person, you can't get any more desecrating their temple than that. In history, at least the Jewish historians tells us that that's what happened. And then it says he will flatter and he will win over those who violate the covenant. He's trying, you know, he's trying to get people to turn away, to break the covenant with God, to say that Yahweh isn't that important, all these other gods are. And isn't that sometimes the pressure that we feel in the world that we live? We want to give in to whatever the cultural says, you know, whatever the cultural norms are. And we've talked about this from day one when we entered into this series, that so many of us don't even know the way that Jesus has called us to live our life and how we're actually supposed to live because we, don't, we, we have not become experts, if you will, of the Gospels. Because we don't read the Gospels. We don't read the Bible. You and I, we have to be in the, the Scriptures so that we know how to live our life according to the way Jesus called us to live our life. Not the way the world calls us to live our life. And this is what's happening. We're, we're in our world, wrong is right and right is wrong. And God is calling Christ's followers to follow Him, not the cultural norms of our day. And he is making some progress. He's winning some people over. But look what Daniel says. Daniel, this is a reminder for all of us, even though it was given thousands of years. This is for us today. But the people who know their God will be strong and will resist him. The people who know their God. See, this is the problem. Just recently, um, I heard a statistic that 69% of kids who grow up in church, when they hit their college age years, they walk away from their faith. They give in to the cultural norms. To that, to think, oh, this is going to be a lot more satisfying over here. If I can live my life like that, I'll find a lot more satisfaction. And they would step away, but it's because they don't really know their God. It's been their parents' faith. It hasn't been their faith. So students, listen. I'm asking you to make this your faith. To make God your faith. That you personally have to know Him. Not because your parents know Him. But because you know Him. That you have had an encounter with Him. That's, this is so important. That you have a personal encounter with Jesus. And then He becomes your God. Not your parents, God. And then you'll be able to what? Be strong and resist the way that the world would call you to live your life. And to go down the road of thinking all the happiness is over there in the party and getting drunk and smoking pot and doing whatever else. And, you know, and having sex outside of the bonds of marriage. You know, that's where it, all, it looks like, man, that's so satisfying. It looks like that's where all, you know, this is where life is. But Jesus calls us to live a different way. And you won't be able to resist the cultural norms if you don't know your God. Now we have some sharp, I was so encouraged on Wednesday night. I told you about this time when the church of Rhode Island, you know, just a bunch of churches were getting together. 
There were over 500 people praying at a church next to the state house on Wednesday night. And do you know what? There was a handful of our students there praying with us. We have some sharp students who love God and who are trying to get to know their God and, and, and have their own encounter. Not their parents' encounter, but their own encounter with God. And that's why I want to encourage you. Students, wherever you are, get back to this place. This is hard work. This means you're going to have to reprioritize your time. Young adults, this means that instead of scrolling on Instagram, right? Instead of being on Tinder, looking for the right one. Instead of, you know, whatever it is, wherever you're spending your time. This means you are opening your Bible and you are reading the Scripture for yourself. And that you are spending time with Him... Sometimes just sitting still, and this is so hard. This is why I have loved our Lent devotional. Our Lent devotional has really challenged us to just sit and meditate on this one verse, this one idea. And that is hard. I, my, my oldest daughter, she was, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations around this. And she's like, Dad, do you know how hard it is for me just to sit there and just be quiet in my mind? I'm like, yes, I do. You get it from me. You know, you know a thousand things are firing in our mind all at once. This is hard work. But I'm telling you. It's worth it in the end. Why? Because then we can resist. This is how we're going to last. This is how the days are turned into weeks, and the weeks are turned into months, and the months, they're turned into years. And we're able to hold on and realize that at the end of the day, no matter how bad it gets, God is still God. He's still good. He's still full of mercy. He's still full of love. And it's for us today. Now, here he points out, wise leaders uh, will give instruction to many of of their time. This is back in their time. But these teachers will die by fire and sword or they'll be jailed and robbed. Hey, just because you know God and you're spending time with God does not mean everything's going to go okay. It's going to be hard. During these persecutions, little help will arrive and many who join them will not be sincere. And some of the wise will fall victim to persecution. You're going to pray for your kids and you know what? They're going to, they're going to go down a different road. You're going to be like, God, why would you let them do that? Why would you let that happen to them? Your, car, your kids may get into a car accident. God, why would you let this happen to Because it's just bad stuff is going to happen. Just because you know Him doesn't mean that bad stuff won't come. But here's what we can do. At the end of the day, we remind ourselves, but God is still God. I may have gotten that bad diagnosis, but God is still God. It may take my life. God is still God. My relationship, my marriage, whatever, it may break up. My finances, it may go upside down. But God is still God. In this way, uh, they will be refined and cleansed and made pure until the, the time of the end. Referring back to Antiochus IV, the time of the end of his reign. 
See, this is where there's a difference. There's a change. Verse 36 is going to introduce a new king. But here, this, the time of the end, for the appointed time is still to come, the end of the days. And this is what Justin is going to get into next week in chapter 12 as it points to more of the end times. But the, the, the time of the end stops meaning that God has a calendar. And it doesn't align with your calendar and my calendar. We want God to heal that person tomorrow. Or we want God to show up and do the, you know, this supernatural work and we need it done by April the 15th. Right? But God's calendar is different than your calendar and my calendar. For the appointed time is still to come. So, here's the switch. Here's the change. Because now he's going to talk about a king futuristically. This isn't the same king. So the king will do as he pleases. We know this is an Antiochus because he wasn't exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god. He worshipped the pantheon of the Greeks. So here we know it's not talking about him. This is a king that will come. This is still futuristic. At some point, somewhere, sometime, at the appointed time, according to God's calendar, which none of us have God's calendar. Let me just say that. No person, I don't care how big in prophecy they are, has God's calendar. Only God knows this. And we looked at that before. But the, the king is going to do as he pleases. He's going to exalt himself to be greater than every other God. Even blaspheming the God of God's. He will succeed. But only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. This is going to happen. It's coming. We don't know when it is. But here's what we know. At the end of the day, God is still... God, He will still reign and He will rule. Will it be hard? Yes. Is it going to be hurt? Yes. Is it going to be painful? Absolutely. And here's what we need to remember. It's what Jesus looked into the eyes of His disciples and He said this, I have told you all of this, that you may have peace in Me. So Jesus is just about ready to go to the cross. He's leaving them. There's all this anxiety in the disciples. But he's like, no, but you can still have peace in me. He says, here on earth, you're going to have many trials. You're going to have many sorrows. It's going to be hard. It's going to be relationship after relationship break. Why? Because your peace isn't going to be found in relationships or in your finances or in the success of your career. Your, your success is going to be found in peace in me. This is what Jesus is saying. And it's open to all of us, no matter matter your age, no matter how young you are or how old you are, that we can all find that peace in him through the hard times. And students, I know you go through hard times. I know what it's like to go into your bedroom, close the door and just cry yourself to sleep because of something that happened in your life. Young adults, I know what that's like. But at the end of the day, God is still God and there's a peace that you can have that you can anchor yourself to. And he says, because I have overcome the world. He, at the end of the day, he overcomes. And you can overcome. Paul said it this way. Our, our, our present troubles are small. And they won't last very long. And I know it doesn't feel small. I know the breakup doesn't feel small. Young adults, I know that it doesn't feel small that you're, that you're single and you're looking and you're like waiting. God, when are you going to put somebody in my path? I know that doesn't feel small, but Paul says, hold it, just back up. And we've got to get it. We have to get an eternal look at this. And our little lives that we live here, our 70, 80 years that we live here on earth, 
That's small compared to eternity, compared to forever. But look, for our present troubles are small. They won't last very long compared to eternity. Yet, they produce us a glory that vastly outweighs them. What's the glory that they would produce? It's knowing God. Because when you go through that hard time, it, that is when you know God's mercy. That is when you understand God's grace. When you go through the difficult time, that is when you understand that God's mercies are new every day. And it produces that in you so that you can be strong. And resist going with the culture that we live in. I'm so out of time. I'm so sorry. Next steps. There's a connection card in the chair in front of you. Will you please grab that? I, I know we're out of time, but please grab the connection card. This is, we want to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer. God changes things because people pray. And we're going to pray that God changes things for you. I need to live like God is still God at the end of my day uh, to help me hold on to God's promises. I, I, I will prioritize my time to know Him better. Basically, you're just saying, pray for me that I'll know Him better. Will you let us pray for you in that way? And you're going to reprioritize your time. Instead of so much scrolling, instead of you know, binge watching, whatever, look at how much time you spend doing all that stuff and just get back into knowing God. We want to pray that you'll be able to do that. The other next step says, I'm so dis distracted by the upside down world that I'm not focused on hope available to me. That's what happens. We have all this trouble and we forget that God, no, God's there. He wants to be your hope. We want to pray for you in that way that you can just focus on the one thing, whether it's knowing him or maybe you've gotten sidetracked and you've stopped praying for other people. You have stopped praying. God, help me to demonstrate your love to somebody else. We want to pray that you would think and be intentional about things that have eternal impact because knowing him has an eternal, uh, eternal impact in your life and demonstrating God's love to other people has an eternal impact. The last one says, I need to start my journey of knowing God by receiving Jesus as my Savior. This is where it all starts. If you haven't acknowledged your need for a Savior, listen, if you're watching online and you haven't acknowledged your need for a Savior, this is where it all starts. This is where the journey starts. This is where it starts to get to know Him. We want to pray for you. Let us know. Write it on there. If there's something like totally, you have a next step that God already spoke to you about, write that on there. We'll pray that for you and over you. But just let us know. Online, there's a link for a connection card. If you're in South County, you got one of those. And right here in this room, they're just in that chair. Drop them. If you're here in this room, drop them in the offering boxes on your way out. Here's how we're going to respond. We're going to respond with this song. And I want, I want these words. I want these words to sink into you. I want the words of, I'm going to see victory. The battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Zoe and I were just talking with somebody this week and that was their statement they're going through a really difficult time and they said surely I mean they're feeling crushed and they said surely God means something for good to come out of this 
It's going to be hard sometimes. But he will. He'll bring good out of it. So let's stand and respond with this song that I see victory. And will you see victory in this, in whatever it is that you are battling?